Uh, so we have some definitions of happiness here. And I want to move out of the way so that you can... I'll scoot up. Okay. Um, you have provided some definitions. So let's see what you've said. Happiness is solitude. Solitude. All the introverts are like, preach. Um, being at peace with the world. Being at peace with the world. Ha, ha, ha. Fast cars, baby. Happiness is fast cars. Yeah, happiness is super simple to define. We'll be fine. Uh, when people appreciate your hard work. Happiness is the situational emotion that comes from choosing joy. There's a little more complex definition there. I got that on my shirt, choose happy. I got this to wear for our series. I'm gonna wear it every week, I'm not gonna wash it. It's gonna be my good luck charm, just kidding. Um, being a part of a caring family. Uh, happiness is focusing on everything I'm grateful for, my kids, a safe home, a job I love, people who love me, and not things I don't have. That's kind of along the choose happy line, right? Okay, so we have some different ideas of happiness, and actually my husband said to me in a conversation the other day, we were talking with some other folks, and we were talking about something like this where it's hard to define it, and he said, you know, what you need depends on who you are. And I think we'll find that as we go along through here. So happiness, I think, is a difficult construct to define. Um, it's tricky, and it was tricky in the faith community where I grew up. And I know that we have a really diverse group of people at the venues. And some of you, maybe some of these descriptions tonight as I unpack some of the concepts about happiness that I received growing up that were either helpful or not so helpful or I've had to really rethink, it may really land with you. It may really resonate because you had similar experiences. And I know we have some people who didn't grow up in church at all. And you might think, where have you been? And who told you that? <laughs> and that's okay too. So um, I had, as I began to think about this, kind of two strong and repeated but somewhat contradictory messages given to me about happiness, and maybe you too. The first one is, you don't need to be happy. You need to be obedient. Okay, all right, very good. So happiness in that construct was kind of equated with pleasure. It was a simplistic view of happiness that was kind of happiness is hedonism, you know? And, and if it was associated with pleasure, we certainly must avoid that at all costs. And so we, we don't need to be happy. And in that construct also, happiness was just a feeling, right? And I also had some messaging about how feelings are not important, um, and they're more of the flesh, or if you're from the southern Midwest, the flesh. And there was the flesh, and there was the spirit, and never the two should meet, and emotions went over in the flesh part, right? Um, happiness was temporal, and it was only based on circumstances, and it wasn't lasting, so why should you worry about it? And also, you know, you could be happy for at least a short period of time sinning. And so happiness is not a good gauge for the quality of your life or the meaningfulness of your choices, right? So there's the you don't need to be happy, you just need to be obedient message. And then on the flip side, which is hard to do both of these at the same time, was you must be happy all the time, 
right? And so um, it, 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 we did some weird stuff along this line. It's weird to me as I look back from my perspective. Whitney Escabel had an idea. Our, uh, she does all of our beautiful graphics. Thank you, Whitney. I think you're probably watching online. She had an idea for a series, and I won't say it the way she did, but it was crap I learned at VBS. <laughs> That's a hit. I knew it'd be. And um, so we had some songs, some VBS songs, that kind of were along this line of you have to be happy all the time. And one was called Happy All the Time. And it went like this. I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. Did you know this song? It was one of our action songs. So we had actions. And it went in right, out right, up right, down right. But you stood up. And I, I thought about having you do it. And I didn't. Aren't you glad? Um, since Jesus Christ came in and cleansed my heart from sin, I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. Woo! Uh, so there was that one. Then there was one. Well, every time we came into youth group, <laughs> the youth pastor would say, attitude check, and we would all go, praise the Lord. So that was kind of along that happy all the time. Um, this one really gets a little weird. So when I started singing it, I was like, oh my gosh. It goes like this. Um, Mommy told me something a little girl should know. Anyone know this song? And it's all about the devil. And I've learned to hate him so She says he causes trouble if you let him in the room And he'll never, never leave you If your heart is full of gloom So let, the, I know, right? <laughs> let the sun shine in Face it with a grin Smilers never lose And frowners never win So let the sun shine in Face it with a grin Open up your heart and let the sun shine in yeah, thank you. Thanks. I'm going to take this show on the road, and I'm going to call it crap I learned at VBS. Um, and then I just thought of this one this morning when I started thinking about tonight. It just came back, and it's called Happiness Is. And it goes, happiness is to know the Savior living a life within his favor, having a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. You guys are nodding. You've heard this song. Happiness is to be forgiven, living a life that's worth the living, taking a trip that leads to heaven. Happiness is the Lord. And here's a turn into the next point. Real joy is mine. No matter if the teardrops fall, I found the secret. It's Jesus in my heart. Right. Okay. So... Those two contradictory messages, you don't need to be happy, and you need to be happy all the time. And then the third one was about joy. What we need is joy. And joy was presented kind of as happiness is more spiritual cousin, right? <laughs> and joy is a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of life in the Spirit, the Scripture tells us in Galatians 5. And there's a list. The fruit, what grows out of the Spirit, what grows from the love of God, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so joy is certainly, a, it is a spiritual concept and certainly something to be pursued and certainly a fruit of the Spirit. Um, that's what makes these concepts difficult to deconstruct because there's a little gem of truth in each one of those ideas. I think. Uh, joy, 
it was as it was presented to me is not reliant upon your circumstances and as those songs reported right joy is persistent it's lasting and it's a result of obedience in fact we had a nifty little acronym anyone know the acronym for joy jesus others yourself right so the message is that Self-denial is the key to joy, the key to a good life. And within my community, it, this is what this meant. Joy or my understanding. I don't want to over, I don't want to present it. This was my understanding. That's all I'm saying. So Jesus meant primarily having a quiet time, right? Bible study and prayer. And others meant work at church, is what that meant. And then yourself meant kind of whatever was left over. I mean, if you have to have a Y at the end of joy, okay. But probably if you have enough room for that, you're not doing the rest of the Joe part that you should be doing. Um, and if any of your Y needs, perceived needs, might interfere with the first two, you're probably sinning. So uh, it was complex. And I think maybe this, you have, some of you may have had experiences like this. So I want to ask you a question, a couple of questions. The first one is, what are the gems of truth in the idea that you don't, let's start with just the first one. You don't need to be happy, you need to be obedient. What is, where, what's the goodness in that teaching? If we were going to frame that as a helpful teaching. Anybody, anybody? Yes, Bueller, Bueller. Remember how we do this? We haven't done it for a while. You've been off the hook because I've had somebody else to talk to, but you guys are the only ones I have to talk to tonight. So one thing that comes to my mind in regard to this is there are times that you need to do things that are right, and they're not going to make you happy. I mean, that's true sometimes. Sometimes we, there's work, and it's not fun, but it is right. You know? I mean, that's true. That's true. Uh, what would you say is the difficulty with you don't need to be happy, you need to be obedient? Obedience. I'm sorry? Obedience can, be Obedience can be abusive. Yes, thank you. So it depends on if it's an authoritarian environment, to whom are we obeying, giving our obedience, to what? Absolutely. I'm not sure those are two mutually exclusive concepts either. Could you maybe be happy and obedient? You know, maybe that's a choice. So there are lines of truth here, but I found some of this a little bit problematic. Um, one thing that this instilled in me or I took away was if you're enjoying yourself, you're probably doing something wrong. So I had taken obedience and happiness as mutually exclusive. Uh, following God means... Following God means denying and dismissing your own needs. Following God means denying and dismissing your own needs, which I don't think is sustainable. Uh, service to others means denying and dismissing your own needs. And the only acceptable emotion is happiness, dutiful happiness, right? So there, this is an idea that Oh, I forgot this is my job. I didn't miss very much. So uh, this is the image. Actually, I was right on time. I remembered right at the perfect moment. Um, so 
we might call this idea from a psychosocial perspective toxic positivity. And it's really interesting. I was talking to Philip on the phone this week about, and I mentioned toxic positivity. He said, you're talking about that on Thursday night. I'm talking about that on Sunday morning. I said, well, the spirit's moving, Philip, I'm telling you. Um, so these probably problematic elements could be described as kind of a version of toxic positivity, which Zahn Valinus um, described as, and I really like this definition, a belief that people should put a positive spin on all experiences, even those that are profoundly tragic. I'm going to read that again. A belief that people should put a positive spin on all experiences, even those that are profoundly tragic. Um, we have this in, uh, certainly in some versions of faith communities. I think we also have it in Midwest culture. We're super nice, right? We want stories to end well, and not all stories end well. And, and there's lots of examples of this. And within our faith community, we even go a little bit farther, I think, with this idea. And there's another concept called spiritual bypassing, which I think is a neighbor to toxic positivity. And this is a little difficult to read. I'll just read this to you. It says, John Wellwood, a prominent psychotherapist and author in the transpersonal psychology field, coined the term spiritual bypassing in the 1980s. Spiritual bypassing is when we use abstract concepts like God or universal consciousness to avoid dealing with uncomfortable real-world issues or unpleasant emotions. So it's kind of, I think, you might be able to say it's using spiritual language within toxic positivity, right? So things like, things that I have memories of. Um, there's another definition I really liked. It said, this is from the same person. Use spiritual language or practice, or, or a spiritual practice, to sidestep personal or emotional unfinished business, to shore up a shaky sense of self, and I think this is really important, to belittle basic needs, feelings, or developmental tasks. So um, some examples that he gave of what this might look like would be not focusing on the here and now, living in a spiritual realm most of the time. My mother used to call this being too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. <laughs> uh, Overemphasizing the positive and ignoring the negative. Being self-righteous about spirituality. I once had a person, this is a personal example of this, who told my child who was having a hard day that he never had a hard day because of his relationship with Jesus. He never had a bad day and he could have a good day every day because of that. I was like, what in the world are you saying? <laughs> That's crazy talk. Um, experiencing and exhibiting frequent anger. Well, I'd be mad too if I had to do that all the time, right? And Sometimes being overly compassionate or pretending that everything is okay when it's not okay. So uh, this video, I think, really characterizes and expresses this idea of um, toxic positivity, maybe. This is a viral video. You've probably seen it. Finley, come here. Look at me. No. You, you have to stop crying. Do you want, can I run it again? Oh, is it, she okay now? I wanted to be able to see the words. Okay. With Come here right now. Look at mommy for a minute. You stop crying right now, okay? Okay. Are you crying? No. Not I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy. You're happy? I'm happy. No. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, you're laughing. Yeah. Okay, do you want to watch Sophia? Yeah. Okay, no more crying, okay? I think I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> I know. Because it was okay to, for her to be tired, but not okay for her to be sad. Maybe, I mean, I don't know what the parenting moment was, and sometimes you just want your kids to stop crying, and I get that. But I hate watching that video because I know how that little girl feels. Because that's how I used to live my life. And I internalize those messages that I don't want to overstate this, and this may not be true in all circumstances, but I think sometimes they're pretty powerfully targeted at women. That you're not supposed to, certainly not supposed to be angry about anything um, in that environment. And even really not grumpy or tired. Those are bad and harmful ideas that have their root in bad and harmful theology. And bad roots grow bad fruit. So you may or may not have the same things to unpack as I did to work around the concept of happiness. But over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what social scientists have to say about happiness. And it's a very difficult to define construct there. You run into things like we did on our cards. What does happiness mean? All different kinds of things. And we're also going to look at, as I said before, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes definitely undermines spiritual bypassing. Uh, that's maybe one of its significant roles. And it offers, I think, to us, in a, in a roundabout way, a more grounded path to a spiritually um, uh, grounded view of happiness. So back to our original question for the evening, define happiness. Here's some kiddos. I love these videos where they ask kids complex questions and then they answer them. Defining happiness. Uh, that one. Even if you say you're a grumpy person, you can't say that you've never been happy. It's, it's probably impossible for you not to at least once feel happy. Happiness is a wonderful thing. It, it's just amazing. I think happiness is joy and love. And I think it comes from God and sometimes the sun. <laughs> happiness means to me um, fun, bubbly, um, everything bright and everyone's just joyous with each other. My happiest moments were in 2012 when I went skiing with my family in Canada and that blue mountain. It's just the op complete opposite of sadness. Everything that's bad is just gone. Everyone's just so full of energy and life. It could just be, it could just be me not with your family and just be happy. Happiness is just wonderful. And there are thousands of times in my life when I've been happy, but most times is when I've been with my family. <laughs> hey, thanks for watching. If you want to get involved, comment in the box below what this word means to you. I love that word where she said, happiness, I think, comes from God and sometimes from the sun. From God and sometimes from the sun. Uh, there is a woman named Dr. Lori Santos, and she uh, has a podcast that is called the Happiness Lab Podcast. She's a professor of psychology at Yale University, and she created a class called the Science of Well-Being, which became 
wildly popular at Yale. And the in-person class had to be moved to their performing arts center because so many people were taking the class. And then she created an online version of it, which is accessible outside of Yale now. And you can Google it, and you can take that class for free. Um, and hundreds of thousands of people have enrolled in that course from all over the world. And out of that experience, she created this podcast called The Happiness Lab. And uh, it is a substantive and very entertaining report on the latest social science around happiness. And I would recommend it. It's very interesting. And in it, she has conversations with leading researchers and clinicians. And so I listened to season one, episode one, when I was preparing for this talk. And in that episode, she gives this broad overview of happiness, and there were seven points, but I'm going to go really fast, so don't worry, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to hit them and move on. Um, but she said, thank you, thank you. She said, <laughs> uh, first thing is, there are two ways that social scientists think about happiness. That'd probably be a good idea. You just take on over, because you'll do better than I'm doing. Thank you, thank you. Um, Two ways to think about happiness. Happiness is you can have happiness in your life, which is experiencing more positive than, well, I hate to use the word positive and negative emotions because emotions are just emotions, but experiencing more happy emotions than, than sad category emotions uh, on the daily, just in your life, happiness in your life. And then there's happiness with your life. So being positive about the direction your life is going, feeling like you're going in a good direction in your life. And you can be experiencing neither one of those or both of those, or one or the other of those. Happiness is somewhat subjective in that no one can determine whether you're happy except you. And so most of the research is based primarily on self-report. However, a lot of the research is correlated with other kinds of measures, which I think is interesting, such as uh, comparing a person's report about their internal experience of happiness with the number of times they smile each day, or with their family's report about their level of happiness, those kinds of things, even some neurological research. Um, the third thing she told us is happiness may be a two-way street. So we tend to think that success in our life and work and our relationships is going to result in happiness, but the research seems to suggest that sometimes people who report being happier also have more success in those areas. Um, so happier people may be, it may be a reciprocal relationship. Uh, the fourth thing, being miserable all the time is bad for you. <laughs> we needed them to tell us this. But it's, it's, it's actually bad for your body. Um, low levels of happiness, constant toxic stress, anxiety, have a negative effect physically to our bodies in measurable ways, as well as in our, our relationships, our social life. Fifth thing is there are practices that can increase feelings of happiness, statistically for most people. Um, and although some individuals are more genetically predisposed, one of the kids talked about this, he's like, you can be a grumpy person, but you can't say you've never been happy. <laughs> uh, and the researchers say, although some individuals are more genetically predisposed to happiness than others, uh, there is some evidence that there are some practices for everyone that would increase your own perception of your happiness. The sixth thing I think is interesting. The research suggests that unless you are in really dire straits, for example, in poverty, in abuse, in a war zone, something that's threatening your life, 
A change in your circumstances will not have a significant effect on your perceived happiness. So that means if your needs are being met, right? If you have enough food, if you have shelter, if you're not experiencing trauma, that's a whole different ballgame, okay? So we're not talking about those things. We're talking about people that are just going through their lives and most of their survival, their survival needs are being met. Um, the idea that we're waiting for this other event to happen, I'm gonna be happy when my kids are older, I'm gonna be happy when I make more money, I'm gonna be happier, you know? Research says we actually might not be. We might, but we might not be. And then the last thing, increasing happiness may require a change in our practices. In some ways, happiness, from the research says, is a skill we cultivate. Um, lots of things are like this. We might think we're happy or we're not. Um, I, ha I used to teach music, and people would say to me all the time, oh, I'm not musical. I'm like, you probably are you might just not know it. Like people would say, I, oh man, I wish I could do that like whoever. And I'm like, if you practice as much as they did, you would do it like that, generally. I mean, we're not all gonna be Beethoven, we're not all gonna be Michael Jordan or whatever, clearly there's giftedness. But lots of things are just practice. <laughs> Most things for humans are practice and we decide to give our attention to them. Um, and research suggests happiness may be a little like that, not to oversimplify it, lots of things uh, affect happiness, but barring some of those deficits I mentioned before. So, uh, this is what current social science is telling us about the pursuit of happiness, but this idea of pursuing a good life is a very ancient idea. And Aristotle was a Greek philosopher who lived from about 384 to 322 BC, which incidentally, there's some disagreement, but some scholars believe that's about when the book of Ecclesiastes was written. So that's interesting. Um, he wrote, Aristotle wrote extensively about happiness and he and other Greek philosophers called it pursuing the good life. And Aristotle was asking, what's the final end of man? What should the aim of men people be? And, and, and Aristotle said the end, well, he didn't say this. John Meserly said this as a summary of Aristotle. The end goal, purpose, or meaning of human life is to live well. We do this by accumulating over the course of our lives all the real goods that correspond to our natural needs. We increase our chances of having good lives by cultivating good habits. And in addition, we also need good luck. And so Aristotle thought a lot about this, and he really worked it out. <laughs> so he said, our natural needs include things like health, this is his list, health, vigor, vitality, pleasure, food, shelter, clothes, sleep. I talked with my college students about that like five times a day. Um, you wonder why you're miserable? You don't sleep, it's just real simple. Uh, knowledge, skill, friendship, aesthetic enjoyment, uh, self-esteem, and honor. So those were things that he said were natural needs for humans. The central virtues that we cultivate in pursuing those needs are the virtue of moderation, because we need food, but not too much food. That's an example. Uh, courage, to overcome the pain and uncertainty that are inherent in some worthy pursuits. And knowledge, uh, like, no, some worthy pursuits like knowledge or justice, we need some courage to pursue those. And then justice because other people have the same needs that we have, and so as we're pursuing happiness, 
We need to have justice as a virtue. He also noted that some people are luckier than others, right? They're born into relative wealth or peace or privilege of all different kinds, and that matters in terms of happiness. So next week, we are going to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is an ancient text written at about the same time that Aristotle was living, maybe, some scholars suggest. And it has a lot to say about human well-being. And biblical scholars have had a lot of trouble interpreting the message of Ecclesiastes and kind of reconciling it with the message of some other parts of Scripture. And depending on how you approach the interpretation of Ecclesiastes, the central message seems to be found in those opening, that opening verse. In the English Standard Version, Ecclesiastes 1.1 says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or in another translation, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility, everything is futile. Um, Peter ends in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says he prefers absurdity. Life is absurd. So can you see how that's going to fit into our happiness talk? <laughs> the rest of the book expounds on why everything in life is absurd and futile and meaningless, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Um, and some of the ideas that the author presents as things that we think will make us happy or will fulfill us, and then they just don't end up doing that. And uh, what he does kind of as a turn on that idea. So I'm excited about it. Um, thanks so much for being here. Thanks to our online friends for joining us too. I, I'm always glad to see you. And uh, I will look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much.